Lord, I ask that if there's people in this room, uh, I, there's a lot of people I don't know, but if, if they don't like the messenger, they'd focus on the message and uh, just be able to hear um, what your word has to say, and it's true. Uh, those in here that are hurting, I pray you'd bring healing, uh, the lonely, um, the broken, the hard-hearted, um, the bitter, that you would just do what you do, Father, and, and just heal. And we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name, amen. How you guys doing? All right. Hey, well, if it is your first time at The Remnant, uh, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. If you've been here in the last month and a half, my, I think five weeks, and you're like, I'm not really new, and you, who are you? Uh, I've been gone. So I've been first time in nine years. True story. I think I've missed one, like one Sunday before, but it was five in a row, which seems like an eternity uh, when you're gone. <clears throat> so if you are new, uh, I don't know if this is good or bad. We're going to get to know each other real well. Mainly, you're going to get to know me because, you know, I don't get to ask you stuff. But you can tell me after. But you're going to get to know me because uh, I'm going to be kind of transparent here. And about, man, there's just so much to say, you know. I feel like I just talk for hours and hours and hours. Uh, but I won't, probably. So I took this time away. And why did I take the time away? Well, um, See, I feel like a rookie here. So today, uh, we're not, this is not a series. Uh, We're going to start a new series I'm pretty excited about next week. But I wanted to talk about this today because of sort of the overarching theme of my time off, uh, mini sabbatical, as it were. Um, So why did I go away? Well, it started with, I guess it would be six weeks ago, because I kept saying I'm going to take time off. That's what I am. But my personality, I tend to to want to grind, if you know what that means, all right? Young folks, I'm hip and cool, grind. Older folks, that means work hard. Um, <clears throat> so I tend to push through, even when I probably shouldn't. And what I noticed six weeks ago in a staff meeting was that I'm, I was mean. Like, I'm a mean, I was a mean person. I was impatient. I was harsh. Uh, my heart was just in a real negative place. Um seeing all the bad, right? There's always going to be bad, but seeing it at the expense of the good. And when you do that, then you're in a real bad place because then everybody is a monster, sort of, right? That sounds really, I told you, you're going to know know me here. And that's really hard to admit to you. But I knew I was mean in that moment. But I don't think I realized the depths of it. Um, So why was I mean? Well, I was stressed and burned out. There's a lot of reasons why I didn't rest. That's sinful. Did you know that? You're supposed to rest. I didn't. Um, <clears throat> burned out, uh, you know, trying to do too much. Probably in arrogance sometimes, thinking that I can just keep going. You ever do that? I can just handle it all. Move, 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 and, and you know. <laughs> That's a lesson I repeatedly learn. And even telling you that is hard for me to admit because I'm like, yeah, I can. I can handle it. But you can't. You can't handle everything. Um, I probably, so I'll give you a little little info, you know, I've realized I fight a lot of battles that aren't my battles to fight because my personality is like that, right? So if I love you, for instance, if I know you and someone is mean to you, this is a very simple example, I want to get that person. (laughs) So I enter into situations sometimes that honestly aren't mine to fight, which pours out more energy, right? Makes your life constant conflict, trying to do too much. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, those, those are reasons that probably led to where I was at, but that wasn't the reason I was mean. And the reason that I was mean was that I was hurt, that's true, which I didn't admit, 
right? I haven't said that in a long time. I'm, I was hurt. I'm still hurt. Again, hard to admit to you because that's giving you vulnerability, weakness, and it's much easier to be like, you can't touch me, right? <clears throat> can't touch me, man. Anyway. Yeah, I was hurt. And my hurt had led to anger, and my anger leads, unresolved anger and hurt leads to where it always does, which is bitterness. And then it's kind of a cycle. You see, when you're bitter, you end up spilling out anger and hurt on everyone. It's like a cup that's too full, right? If you don't get rid of it, it's going to spill. I'm bitter, man. I was bitter at how mean people are. People are mean, and they're cruel. And I know what you're saying, Todd, that's just the world we live in. It's a broken world. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the church. Not necessarily this church, though. Y'all are mean sometimes. But church with a capital C, Christianity, we're so mean. We're so cruel. I was bitter at that, bitter at how cruel believers so often are, bitter at the hate given to me and others. And if I'm honest, and this, is, this took a while, uh, bitter at God. For letting it happen. I think I kind of avoided in my in serving God, and He was so faithful to me during that time. But in serving God, I sort of, I mean, I prayed, I did everything I was supposed to do, but I sort of avoided bearing my heart to Him because I knew He was going to see how angry I was at Him, how bitter I was. <clears throat> how could God let His people? Be so cruel and mean to each other, so short-tempered, so hard-hearted. And then I realized, in my bitterness, I had become mean, hard-hearted, and aggressive. I had become the thing I hate, the thing that made me bitter. We'll come back to that. Let's pause, button. Luke, first name, first name I've said since I've been back. I have a tendency to say your name. If I say your name, it's actually a good thing. It means I like you. Because people think they're in trouble, which I have no authority to get you in trouble. So anyway, anyway, uh, after admitting to that to God, that I was bitter and angry and frustrated at him, and then him doing what he does, gently saying, hey, you're bitter. <laughs> you're hurt. You're angry. You've become those things. And, and repenting, I started asking different questions. This is true. That, by the way, took probably a week and a half, just that whole process. <clears throat> I'm still in it, but I started asking the question of what happened. Now, listen, I know your tendency, and if you're new here, you probably will hear this a lot, but it'll be your first time. I know you've been in church your whole life. I know you've heard every sermon. I've know you've, I know that there's pastors that do really cool things and spray you with squirt guns, and I know you know all the tricks and all the cool stuff, right, to get your attention, and I know you have a tendency to do the thing where you show up because you're faithful, but you tune off, right? You have your, we call it Christian earmuffs. That's what you have on because you hear everything. Here's what I encourage you to do today. I dare you. See if I'll make you mad. Take them off and hear this today because I had mine on too. What happened? Now, see, it can become popular for, for non-believers or, uh, what do they call it? Man, what is that new phrase? I always forget, Timothy's new churches. What do they call it? Deconstruction, and then they become, you remember, AJ? That's it, exvangelical. If you don't know what that means, good, it's silly. But <clears throat> I know it's kind of popular to criticize the church, and that's not what I'm saying. <clears throat> I'm talking about the fact that we can't deny, though. What's happened to so many churches? 
What's happened to so many Christians? What's happened to Christianity itself? When I say the word Christianity, sometimes it sticks in my throat. Because to me, it, it doesn't represent Jesus anymore. I'm serious. And it becomes this thing that I don't like. Bitter. <laughs> what happened to Christianity itself? What happened to me? And what have we become? I remember when I first say, was saved, it was like Jesus, when Jesus busted into my reality. All right, if you're new, and I think we got a lot of new people. All the members didn't come today. That should tell you something, right, the new people. Um, I wasn't raised in church. I was 16 or 17 when I accepted the gospel, and then it was probably three years before I really knew what that meant other than, you know, what it meant to be a disciple. And in that moment, Jesus crashed into my life from a corny play at a church I'd never been to that I went to for a friend. And he busted into my life. And he grabbed me, and he broke through my pride, and he broke through my blindness. In that moment, that new moment where a guy that wasn't raised in church, I was a good guy. I tell the story all the time. My buddy who had invited me, invited me so that our really bad friend would go, because he thought I was a Christian. I realized that this good guy had at that moment, I realized I needed Jesus. I needed him. It brought, yeah, it brought me to the reality of my situation. Okay, I need to say this. I was a sinner, and I'm going to hell, and that is reality. Whether you, whether you like it, whether you don't, without a Savior, that's what we're all destined to. Why would God do that? He didn't. He lets you choose what you want. But something else stronger than even the fear of that terrifying realization is what really melted me. And I, I'm, I promise you this is the truth. I'm not saying this to pastor talk you. That's something that drew me to Jesus that brought tears to the eyes of a tough football player, fighter, you know, personality was love. And now, again, there's certain trigger words in Christianity. When you hear the word, you immediately shut off because you think you know everything about it. I get it. Me too. We don't. When God has to remind us multiple times about the same thing, there's a reason for that. We're very short-sighted, and we have very short memories. It was love. In Jesus, I had saw and felt a love that I had never, under, never seen, understood, or even knew that I was missing. Are you thinking about when you came to know him? Some of you were blessed to know him since you were a kid. Praise God. You still probably remember. Right? And you kind of blow it off. You know, it makes me sad when I hear my friends that have been, they got saved at six, seven, eight, because when they tell me my story, they think it somehow doesn't measure up. And I think it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Right? Because they came, they got to experience life with Jesus their whole life. And I think we, I think kids get it more than we do a lot of times. Because we make it complicated. In that moment with Jesus, in that first moment, he saw past my flaws, my mistakes, my sin. I didn't know what the word meant. I just knew all the bad things I had done and was still doing. And you want to know the truth? I didn't even know what all those bad things were yet. He saw past it and he offered me peace and joy, forgiveness and life. I'm serious. And in that moment, I didn't think about justification, sanctification, theology, being holy, or ministry. I didn't think of any of those things. I just saw who I was, who Jesus was, and that I could be made whole and new and be loved. Do you remember when you first met Jesus? You should. Even if it was as a kid, you should remember that because you were transformed in that moment. If it, if it happened, you were transformed. 
You were changed into something new. Did you know that? That's not funny words. I want you to go back to that moment for a second, everyone. I'll give you a, a dramatic pause. Count it from 10 really fast. Did you worry about in that moment if you were going to be perfect after that day? Did you? Did you think to yourself, man, I got to be perfect for the rest of my life? <clears throat> Did you worry about whether or not other Christians would think you're good enough? Did you think about pointing out everyone else's sins? Were you excited about that? Did you think about trying to earn his love for the rest of your life? Did you feel shame or fear or worry or self-hatred in that moment? I didn't. Did you feel unforgiven in that moment? Did you feel like your name was your sin in that moment? No, I bet you didn't. I bet you felt like I did. Cool story, a good friend of mine, I'm not going to say his name because he gets shy, but he's probably in here. <clears throat> Recently-ish, came to know Jesus. He said the same exact thing I said. My buddy asked me when we walked out that night. He said, how do you feel, man? I went, they tricked me. It's a long story. I had to go back and pray, whatever. And, I was, and I, all I could say was I feel lighter. And I did. How come I feel heavier now? How come that I know more about Jesus and feel heavier now. No, you didn't think those things. You just, you wanted to go tell everyone about this God man that saved you from yourself. I did. I offended a lot of people because I would just go and say, hey, you need Jesus or you're going to hell. He loves you. You know, I didn't know anything else. That's all I knew. You wanted to tell people about this God man who gave you this new peace, this joy, this hope, this love. That's it. It was simple. John 3, 16 and 17, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Simple, right? You learned that when you're five, those of you that were raised in the church. I learned it when I was like 20. but you get Simple, isn't it? For God so loved the world. He didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be safe through him. And yet we spend so much of our time condemning each other. It's simple. It's simple. That verse, is, it's simple. It's hard to understand in the sense of why he would do that, how it works, but it's simple. If you take it at face value, it's simple. So as I was pondering through all this, I thought, I told you I would come back to this. I, I, I thought about myself. I was part of an amazing church. You guys are amazing. I literally have seen miracles. Miracles here. <clears throat> I get to preach the truth that I believe even when I do not deserve it. I was given the incredible honor of entering into people's lives, knowing their deepest, you know, joys and hurts and struggles. That's an incredible honor. I was leading ministries, I was dreaming, I was advancing the kingdom, I was grinding for God, I was doing it. But in serving God, my love was cooling in the shadow of my religion. That's what happens a lot in Christianity. And the ones of you in here right now that are mad, irritated, ask yourself why. I know you're here, why? It happens a lot in Christianity because all the don'ts become so important. Sin management becomes the number one goal. Not being holy. I need to manage my sin. But you know what's cool? I'm also going to manage yours. 
We serve God, we serve people, but why do we do that? Because that's what we're supposed to do. So that the person next to you believes you're a good member of your church, a good Christian. And maybe, just maybe, if you do enough of the good stuff, they're not going to point out your sins and your flaws. And if you play the game good enough, they'll leave you alone. That cannot be the gas that runs the engines of our lives. It can't. It cannot be the motivation of our life because without love fueling our faith, we become something ugly. That's what happened to me. This becomes something ugly. It becomes complicated. Words like mission trips and serving and preaching, sharing the gospel just become another thing that's added to our to-do list. And in our attempts to be like Jesus, we sometimes no longer care about loving like Jesus. And if you don't love like Jesus, the irony is you can't be like Jesus. And you know why you point out other people's sin? You want to know the real secret why? Because if you point enough fingers at them, they can't point it back at you. People would rather be the one stoning the adulteress than standing in front of them. That's where the crowd is. We need to go back to the basics. We need the simplicity of those first moments when we met Jesus. You see, everything about Christianity is based on Jesus and loving him and loving like him. Did you know that? That's it. If you did those two things, right, put your faith in him, and you loved him, because you can't do both of those without being empowered by his spirit, right? But if you do those two things, that's all you did in your entire life. You did those two things well, and you died. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's a life that's worthy. Todd, where's the, where's the offering? Where's the mission trips? Where's the preaching? Where's the teaching? <clears throat> Not enough without love. In fact, it's nothing, which we'll talk about. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. In this section, this is where the religious leaders, I'll say that again, the religious leaders are trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to catch him. What they want him to do is say something so blasphemous, right, that they'll have reason to take away his authority, to cast him out, maybe even kill him, right? If we can stone this guy, if we can get him to admit something, they're desperate. He quiets down the Pharisees, so the Sadducees come up. They're experts on the law. And it says an attorney came up to him, meaning a real expert on what the rules are. And it said he came to him because he wanted to, I'm going to paraphrase, trick him. And we'll start in verse 36. This is what he says. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law, in the Bible, for our purposes? And he said to him, he said to him, the first he is Jesus, right? His, His reply to him is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Torah. Everything that in your book of laws rests on these two things. They're the two most important things. Now see, somebody's already, I already know that, Todd. (laughs) Well, if we all knew that, we wouldn't be in the state we are in our Christianity. Do you understand? There's a difference between knowing and knowing. <clears throat> so what's he say here? I love it. They can't argue with that, by the way. That's a whole other sermon where I could be like, he's, he always outsmarts them. It's so good, right? <clears throat> it's so good. I would love to do a whole thing on like the sarcasm and, 
and replies of Jesus. But did you know he's sarcastic sometimes? He is. <clears throat> that is not justification to be sarcastic all the time. <clears throat> so he asks him this, and he says, the two greatest commandments are the love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What is heart, soul, and mind? If you put those together, that is what of you? It's all of you. It's everything. And then he throws that in. I love, 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 I love how God works because he knows how we are as humans. If he had just said, the second one, you shall love your neighbor, that becomes very subjective. Well, I am loving my neighbor by not punching him in the face, right? I am loving my neighbor by making sure I point out his flaws, on and on and on. But he says something incredible because he knows that our, our, our basic fleshly tendency is to care about us. So he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the question is, if you don't like it done to you, you shouldn't do it to people. And if you want something done to you, right, if you want someone to encourage you, um, pick you up, all of those things, right, those moments make you feel loved, then you should do that. He tricks us all the time. It's so good. People are always like, why doesn't he speak plainly? Because we wouldn't listen. We got to think. That's how we are. And we have a hard time with that, right? One of our uh, interns told me it's because you guys are, have goldfish syndrome. You know, that's what they do with uh, social media. They, they know that you're goldfish. That's what they call you. You should be offended. So they try to get all the information. And what is it? Fun turns like five seconds. Am I right? Yep, he said, yeah. I listened. Told you. So that's it, right? Jesus makes the complicated, which they tried to trick him with, very, very simple, didn't he? You guys with me? You want me to throw a podium? This first time. I just want to see. I just, I'm still me. I'm still me. Yeah. Jesus, I haven't really done that, but yet. Yet. <clears throat> Jesus makes the complicated very simple. He says, listen, you want to follow God. Love God and love others. All right, let's go home. On these two simple laws, all of our faith is dependent. So, Todd, help me understand that. Why would he say that? Well, let's think about it. If you love God, you'll trust God. If you love God and trust God, what are you going to do? You're going to listen to God. You're going to obey God. You're going to do what he says to do, and you're going to do what he says not, not do what he says not to do, right? If you love him, that's what you're going to do. If you love him, you're going to spend time with him in prayer. If you love him, you're going to want to get to know him in his word. If you love him, you're going to be with, want to be with his children. You're going to want to do all the things that we are told to do if you just love God. If you love people, you're not going to murder them, right? You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to covet you're not going to take their husband or wife. You're not going to do those things. That's how it all connects. <clears throat> so then Jesus, which I love. Gospel of John, if you're around here, it becomes a running joke. I made fun of a lot. It's by far my favorite. It's, it's my favorite book of the Bible. Okay, and It's my favorite gospel. I love the gospels. But the gospel of John, and that's what I'm going to, it's so good. And there's a section in the middle of the gospel of John where it's just Jesus and he's teaching and praying and, and all of these things. And it's almost like his words all the way through. We don't have to hear from these Pharisees anymore. They're annoying, right? Now we just get to hear from him. Listen to what he says as he goes on about love. John 15, 9 and 10. Now think about what we just read. We've got the building blocks, right? This is the law. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Pause. Now abide is a word we don't typically use very much. Right? You don't walk around and go, hello, I am abiding. <clears throat> Abide means a lot of things. It means, and all the words fit, it means accept that there's no changing it. Isn't that good? 
Listen, I'm going to abide by the law because I'm not going to change it. I'm abiding. I accept it. I'm going to accept something that is never going to change. I'm going to rest in that. I can stand firm on this thing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have loved my Father's, have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's saying the same thing. As the Father has loved me, I loved you. I love you. I'm showing you how God loves you. Rest in that. Trust that. Well, how, how deeply can you trust that? Well, you can trust it because I abide in the Father's love. You see how confident I am? How calm, how resolute, right? How confident he is in the truth. Why is that? Because he is abiding in the Father's love. He's showing us what that relationship should look like. And then he goes on and says, and part of abiding in my love, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. All that means is, if you keep my commandments, you're showing that you fully trust my love, right? That the things I tell you to do that you don't want to do are for your good, and the things I tell you not to do are for your good. You would, that you trust that. And I love this. Here we go again. Jesus himself's teaching, and we're getting close to when he's about to be, they're coming for him in the garden soon. He could say anything. He could focus on anything. Listen to what he says down a little bit in chat, verses 12 and 13. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so I'm going to condemn you with no hope. I'm going to name you by your sin. I'm going to, um, if you're an untouchable, get away from me, right? If you committed the big sins, not pride, that's not a big one. Not bitterness, that's not a big one. You know, the big ones that everyone sees. Make them wear a scarlet letter, kick them out, all that stuff, right? That's not what happens. That was sarcasm. See, I told you I would do it. That's not what he does, does he? What does he do? He touches the untouchable. He loves the unlovable. He forgives the sinners. He defends the adulteress. He does all these things that today in our church, if a band came up and said, hello, I'm Pastor Jesus, and started talking about this, guess what you do, many of us? You go gossip about him. You go tell everyone what he's saying. You say, this guy, this Jesus Christ is just not a good Christian. Must have not went to seminary long enough. This is my commandment that you love one another. I can say that because I went to seminary for a while. I'm, I'm insulting myself. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's building something here. Here's love. These are commandments. It's what love looks like. And I'm going to tell you the depths of it, right? Can you see what he's doing here? All of a sudden, we're like, well, okay, this is nice. And then he says, Love one another as I loved you. That's not, by, that's not a suggestion. So I'm going to say it again. If you don't see Jesus condemning those who repent of their sins, if you don't see Jesus right desiring and, and, and reveling in the destruction of someone, why in the world do you think you should? So he says, you have love one another as I have loved you. That's the standard. You're... <clears throat> I'm going to start by telling you to love others as you love yourself. That was Old Testament, right? right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, guess what? It's not good enough. I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you how I really want you to love. I want you to love the way I love you. That's how you're to love each other. You're like, okay, Jesus. At that point, they're like, what does that look like? We've seen you heal. Well, then he tells us this thing that hasn't happened yet. We have the gift of, of hindsight here. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You see, the problem in Christianity is when it comes down to me or you, it's okay to choose me. I'm just being a good, a good 
husband, I'm just, you know, I'm just taking care of my family. I don't need to help you. I, I need to buy my, my Starbucks in the morning. I need to you know, make sure that your unholiness isn't near me because you may, you may pollute me. It's ridiculous. So here the, is the command Jesus gives us plainly. Love each other. But not by our definition of love because we are tainted, right, with that sin. All of us. The best person you've ever known in your life is not anywhere near Jesus, and that's only going to be finished on the other side. Right? This side of heaven, there's no perfection. I'm sorry. But yet he sees us as perfect. Isn't that crazy? It's wild. He sees us as what we're going to be, not what we are or what we were. But not our definition of love, not how we want to do it, What's convenient, as, as I have loved you, he says. And then he says, okay, what does that look like? I already told you, lay down your life for your friends. So yes, some of you are going, i got to die for my friends. Maybe. Right? If, you, if you really love someone, you'll die. I would die for Daisy tomorrow. My daughter would, wouldn't even think about it. And God loves me way more than that. And loves you way more than that. So yes, it means even dying for someone, but you know what's even harder than that? Because you may never be tested to actually have to die for someone. But what if laying down your life also meant laying down your desires for someone else's? What if it meant laying down your pride in a moment? What if it meant laying down your selfishness? What if it meant laying down our hurt that gives us justification to hurt people back, Right? I had a counselor, I say this all the time, one of the most powerful things that's ever been said to me is I said in this room, we're talking about stuff, I have a lot of trust, I have all kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> was wrong with me, probably still is. And I said to him, I was like, I know that's crazy. And he said, Todd, the way that you react, it's not crazy. Based on your experiences, it's completely rational. Actually, that's what I said. I said it's irrational. He goes, no, it's completely rational. It's just not healthy. Some of you have been hurt, and it makes perfect sense for you to lash out, not trust, right? If you've been punched your whole life, if every time someone walks in the door, they punch you in the face, it makes sense you're going to flinch. That makes sense. But God doesn't want us to do what makes sense, right? He wants us to follow him. And remember, abiding in his love says, I know this is scary, but don't flinch. Because I have something for you. What if it meant laying down, this is big. Everybody, no one says that they're this. They're unforgiveness. Their judgment, their hypocrisy, the definition of hypocrisy is condemning someone while you yourself would never want to be condemned, right? To say my sins are forgiven, but yours aren't. This can all seem complicated. What does it mean to love? I've given you a definition. We've built up, right, Josh? This isn't one of those times you weren't paying attention. He told me that the other day. <laughs> you always pay attention. This can seem complicated. What does it mean to love? So God gives us a list of things to start with. He tells us. You ready? He tells us how to love. Now, here's the problem. I got to do my little, you know, what is that called? Uh, public service announcement. You ready? That's, that's embarrassing. Uh, a section of Scripture, he tells us exactly how to love. He gives us a picture. And a section, if, if his example isn't enough, he goes further. He says that a, there's a section of Scripture that's become so part of our vocabulary if you grew up in the church. You're a Christian. Heck, if you even, even weren't even a Christian, you probably heard this because it's said at weddings all the time. You already know, don't you, when I say that. 
We can recite it, but I think sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Ooh, that's fancy words. You know what that means? It means we stop caring about it. It becomes normal. So I need you. Christian, your muffs, go ahead. I know they slip back on. I talk too long. Take them off. Put them back down. Thank you. Perfect Beth. Be- Becca Bethany. I called her her sister and her at the same time. Anyway, <laughs> meaning maybe we don't take it as serious or remember its actual meaning. So turn to that famous love chapter. It's not about your marriage, by the way. It should look like that. It's not about your marriage. 1 Corinthians 13, as you're doing that, I'm going to tell you it's very, very important that you understand some context because this makes it even better. In this section, Paul is writing to a church in a major metropolis area that has all kinds of different cultures that are against God's way of life, against the kingdom, and are sort of pressuring in and infecting the church. And Paul, the apostle Paul, is saying, whoa, 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 i got to remind you of what you are like now. You're a new creation. You're not like this. And then he starts telling them what church should look like, you know, right? All these things. And this powerful section where he says, listen, you're all one body. You're connected, right? And not only that, so if one part of you is sick, the other part's sick, all these things. And he says, don't look down on the lowly ones of you, right? That means the poor of you, right? You're all equal in his eyes. That means the smelly people. Yep, those people too, right? They are just as important. But then he says something incredible. He says, God has gifted you each individually with, you ready? I'm going to say something to shout. With magical powers. Does that make you pay attention at least? Yeah. You've been given a gift. You're like, no, uh, so many people have self-hatred, and you're like, I am worthless. No, God has given you a gift. And that gift has been given to you not for yourself, but to serve and love others. And in his body, this incredible, powerful organism, right, this unit, this thing is supernaturally empowered for each other and the world. And he says all these crazy things. Hey, you want to be, you know, some people are going to be able to speak in languages they don't know how to speak. And some people are going to prophesy and speak for God. And some, some people are going to heal. All of these crazy things that come up, okay? All of these things. Some of you are going to be leaders and some of you are going to be administrators. And some of you are going to be really hospitable. By the way, that is a gift if you've ever met a hospitable person. Because, you know, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, the sandwich is in the kitchen. Go make yourself one, right? I don't even think that way. Jill's a great example. She's very hospitable most of the time. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> she is. <clears throat> so he says all this, and then he says this. It's, ugh, I get so excited, David. Where are you at, bro? I need your excitement. This is so good. He says at the end of this section in chapter 12, right before this, he says, but I'm going to tell you an even greater way, something even more incredible than all of your magical powers I just told you about. Somebody's going to go on, Todd said witchcraft. That's not what I'm saying, Right? So think about that in context, that Paul says this thing we're about to discuss is more powerful than all the gifts that have been gifted to the church. Do you know why? I'm going to get to it. Because, and it's love. <laughs> That's punchline. But this kind of love is impossible. It is impossible. Impossible. You, I don't care how good your Uncle Fred is, who's not a Christian. It is impossible to love like this without the Holy Spirit. And so here we go. He says, I'm going to show you an even greater way. This is so good. 1 Corinthians 13, starting verse 1, 1 through 8, if you're using electronics. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I could talk to angels right now, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, let that sink in. If you knew everything, If I have all faith, I have so much faith. Remember, Jesus said, if you have a mustard seed, I can move a mountain. He references that. He says, I have faith so I could remove mountains. Hey, mountain, get out of the way, and it moves. 
But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, a martyr, but have not love, I gain nothing. What is this love? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It doesn't rejoice in doing wrong, but it also doesn't rejoice in the wrongdoing of others as they destroy them. But rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. All of these things. You see, because there'll come a time when the magical powers aren't needed anymore because we're with the king. But you know what will still be there? This kind of love. This is the only spiritual gift that is eternal, right? Faith, hope, and love. Uh-huh, I know you're trying to trick me. I get it. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Think about that. That's a powerful section in the context of gifts. And I wish, you know, if you were LeBron James but don't have love, you're, you're, you, you are nothing, right? Maybe you like basketball. I don't know. Michael Jordan's the best anyway. Anyway. <clears throat> now compare this, what you just heard, like patient and kind. I was a server for a long time. Not a long, that's a lie. During college, it wasn't a long time, but I was a server for a time. And um, they knew I was a Christian, Two things that always stuck out to me. It's pretty early in my face still. One, they hated, hated, hated working Sundays because Christians. They didn't tip them well. They were mean, short-tempered. This is, I'm not just saying this. That's, I promise you that's the truth. Number two, there was a guy there that was in seminary training to be a pastor. Now, I don't condone this, but because I was kind of, this is going to shock you, quiet at the time. I was very depressed. I was very quiet, and people would talk to me, Okay. And people told me, this guy, I'll just name him Bob, it's easy, I don't, um, they couldn't stand him because he was so greedy and so selfish and so self-serving. And then he would preach to them and use verses and all his seminary knowledge. I'll never forget this. Picture that. The picture that these people that don't know Jesus, who they think Jesus is. Because this is one of the great teachers of, of Christ. Are we patient and kind? In the churches today? Initially, absolutely. What about after week one, week two? What, after, what about after they become members? You got them hooked now, right? Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. You know, arrogance plays itself in a lot of ways. When you set yourself as the judge, jury, and executioner of any person, you're living out of arrogance. There's a place for truth, right? I can tell someone they're going to be judged, but I'm not the one judging it doesn't rejoice the wrongdoing, rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That sounds good. But do we really do that in the hard moments of life? Do we come beside fellow believers? What about, I mean, we will we'll probably give them 20 bucks if they need groceries. We might do all that. What, what if they sin? What if they mess up? What about the divorcee? Right? What about the embezzler? What about, it, it doesn't, what, what about, you name your bad one. I always find it interesting that in those situations, I don't want to get myself in trouble first with that, but it reminds me of this little canceling thing that happened, you know. It's like we can't, 
have sympathy for the sinner. It's odd when someone's hurt. We can't want the sinner to come to know Jesus and to be healed. That's so silly. Of course God wants that. Compare this to the culture of our faith in our churches, sometimes and many times, particularly, it does not rejoice around doing. Think of the culture of unforgiveness. We say we forgive, but what is forgiveness really? You know, it breaks my heart, man, because I do. You know, I'm not, clearly I'm not perfect. I told you guys I confess bitterness to a bunch of people that don't even know me. But one thing I've never understood and is how you can be unforgiving as a Christian. It, it, it's it's mind-boggling. Because at somewhere along the way, you have forgotten your situation. You understand? There's an old, if you're a history major, buff, right? You ever heard of the famous sermon? I think it was, was it Cotton Mather or John Edwards? I don't remember. It's like sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's a powerful thing, right? It sounds so mean, but it's so true. You know, and he gives the, this scenario of a spider hanging from a single web above a, a fire, a candle. That's us. And that strand is Jesus. You don't ever stop being that. You're held up by his grace. You can't earn it. Now, that doesn't mean pursuing holiness and all. Of course we do, right? I shouldn't even have to say that in this loved one. Of course we do, because remember what we said. If you abide in him, you're going to what? Obey his commandments. But you can't skip the love part. <laughs> what about the culture of shaming and ostracizing? That's a fancy word for pushing them out. I visited a church before where uh, a guy had uh, committed adultery, got divorced. Now, this, he'd been in this church forever. They kick him out or whatever because, of, you know, Matthew 18, kind of, which, is, which that, that's a real thing and it should, right? He repented, he comes back. But when he came back, you know what? It was like he was a pariah. Nobody, no, like I, physically, people didn't sit near him. Let that say, oh, of course you can come, but have they really forgiven him? What about naming people by their sins? We do that all the time, don't we? They stop becoming a person, they become their sin. We have to get back to the simplicity of our faith, guys. It's difficult to follow Jesus, but it's not complicated. It's hard to love people, but it's not complicated. Do you know that? Think of Jesus' love for the thief on the cross. Think of the radical nature that the man who was spitting on him and mocking him hours earlier. Save yourself, oh, your God. And then somewhere along the line, something about the way Jesus stood there or hung there made that guy change, and he defended him and said, remember me in your kingdom. 90, and me too would look at that guy and go, you, right? I'm not going to remember you. And Jesus said, right, don't worry. Today you will be with me in paradise. If that doesn't hit your heart, the radical nature of that. There's a story about Paul in the book of Acts where he, he keeps appealing, right? He's, he's trying to get to Caesar, I sometimes wonder if he was trying to get the opportunity to witness to Caesar. I think he was. And he gets up to this high official, and he starts talking to him and debating him, and the guy says, what are you doing, trying to make me like you? And he says, I wish you were everything like me except for these chains. About the love of that, as he's in the chains to say, yes, I'm trying to save you. I want you to know the truth. Agape. You know, one of the powerful things, you know, God is love. You've heard that, right? In 1 John, God is love. Agape, there's different kinds of love in, in the Greek, right? Agape is, is God-like love for our purposes. Right here where it says love is patient, love is kind, guess what that word is? Agape, right? It's patient, it's kind. That's the kind of love God has. It has a cost. 
Loving people like that has a cost. It's not easy. But we're empowered to do it. It's not easy to send that text to the person who's hurt you that you haven't talked to for 20 years that God has put on your heart to forgive. Happened to me recently. Not for 20, but it has a cost. Jesus is the kind of love we're called to is the building block of Christianity. It's a pure, unselfish love. It's a love that desperately wants the good of the other person that would even trade relationship with that person if it meant they hear the truth. You know, some of us say we love our family members that don't know Jesus. This is turning a little bit, but we don't really love them because we, would, we are so afraid of offending and losing that earthly relationship that we're willing to risk eternity for them, an eternal relationship. Without love, it's all not worth it. It's too hard. This hurts too much. You hear me? This is not worth it. Without love, it's all ugly and grotesque. Jesus has loved us. God has loved us and saved us, and he has filled us with a kind of love that should overflow and spill out onto those around us. Whether they're your friends, your family, a stranger, an enemy, they all get hit with that splash of love, right? Just like my bitterness should be love. Will you love people when they don't? Will you love people when they won't? I think sometimes it's easy for me to love people when they don't. I have a hard time loving them when they won't. I don't have time to discuss what that means to me, but if it hits, it hits. You know what I mean. Will you love then because Jesus did and does for me and for you? She's going to come play some music. And this time is for you, for you to go with, to, to respond to God in whatever way he's asking you to. There'll be people up here praying for you, and prayer's powerful. I get it. It's awkward. Remember the story I told you? That's how they tricked me. They said, raise your hand if you want Jesus. And they go, okay, everybody go back into the secret room. Imagine if I told you I had to go back there. I'm not. They did tell me that. All right? And then, you know, I tell the story often. It's very powerful. A guy I didn't know, because I wasn't going to go. Once I knew I had to get up, I wasn't doing it. Some guy whispered in my ear, he will never know. I will meet him in eternity someday. I'm going to tell him thank you. And he said, you don't have to be afraid. So you don't have to be afraid today to respond however God's calling you to respond. But I want you to think about some things. Will you love when they don't? Will you love when they won't? Because that's the kind of love you're called to. We are called to. Will you love radically? Guys, it's so hard. I'm, I hope you hear me. I'm, I have not arrived. This is just stuff that's been punching me in the face. How can I love worse as a pastor than I did as a 17-year-old kid that just came to know him sometimes. That's overwhelming to me. We love them when they won't. We love radically. The most radical thing you can do in love is to not follow the crowd, even the church crowd. If I've learned anything in my years in ministry, I'm getting, <clears throat> I get choked up because this is so true. It's happened to me personally, but it's happened to other people. I, I, it is so, so, so accepted to punish the sinner, to point them out, right? But the irony is only if it's caught. Get rid of them. Christians do this, and then we wonder. You think they don't see that? You think those people don't? Why would they want this? Oh, you're telling me I'll be loved. You tell me I'm forgiven. You tell me you'll be there for me, but I saw what you did to that guy. Thank God I never went to church before I met Jesus sometimes. I, I, mean, I mean that. I missed out, but I was blessed in some ways. 
Are you willing to stand for love when the whole world isn't? Are you willing to stand for love when Christianity isn't? When mainstream Christianity, when your local church, not just the guy on TV that you can look down, you're like the mega pastor, everybody's like, he's bad. What about the pastor in your town that's condemning? I'm not saying you got to go out and throw stones at him. What about the, the person next door? What about your mom or dad? Are you willing? To, you don't have to fight, but you can say truth, right? You can say, is that loving them? What would it look like if your life rested in God's love? First of all, and that's something, too, that I, I don't have time today. This could have been two or three, but you need to understand that, that God is calling you to a love that sounds crazy and radical, but it is a drop in the bucket compared to the way he loves you. You know, the bare minimum is, is God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant. God is not rude. God is uh, not irritable or resentful, right? All of these things, that is how God sees you. Even when the entire world tells you you're not lovable anymore, when the entire world tells you you've gone too far, he never will. If you've put your faith in him, he already made a promise. No matter how much you squirm, he said, I will never let go of one of these you've given to me. We sure try to get out of there sometimes, right? He won't let go. Some of you have been so hurt by people who don't love you and that you think that that's how God sees you, right? It's hard. When the whole world... Trust me, I know this. When the whole world's telling you you're something, but you're supposed to believe what God says you are, that becomes very difficult. That's why we have to rest on his truth. Not even the truth of our friends. At the end of the day, it's always going to come back to you and him. Will you abide? Will you sit on that love even when it doesn't make sense, when the whole world's against you? Because that's what he's going to do. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's throwing your sins as far as the east is from the west. He loves you so much that he literally laid his life down for you. No matter how invaluable someone makes you feel, don't ever forget how valuable you were to the creator of the universe. What would your life, like let that sink in for a minute, just a second. If you can only do it for five seconds today, let yourself feel that love for yourself that he has for you. Some of you have made big mistakes. I'm with you. We can go in a room and talk about it. And people want to tell you that's all you are. <clears throat> I get it. But what I found to be true is when I abide in his love and when you do, like, eventually those voices get quieter. And they'll pop up again. It just, that's life. It's going to happen. But the fighter side of me, he's still in here. Someday I'm going to be like, in heaven hopefully they're there and I'm like ah, I told you so what would it look like if your life rested in God's love if you trusted that and here's the most beautiful thing what if your life truly lived in a way that you spilled that same love onto everyone around you what does that mean guys I'm going to tell you what it means see people see the quiet person the invisible person see the person that slips out of service before anyone sees them right and talks to them see them seek them Help people, even when they don't ask. Serve people. Look for opportunities to do that. Think about yourself. How good does it feel when someone sees a need you have and steps in? Give people time. That's the most valuable thing you can do. You want to love someone, give them time. And not time where you're doing this every five seconds. 
or saying this word. I got a lot to do today. Let's sit and talk. All right, I got a lot to do today. Give them time. Give them encouragement. Give them trust. Oof. That's me preaching to me. I put that in for myself. If I'm going to love you, I got to trust you. Love like Jesus and know that you're loved by God in even greater ways. If you don't know Jesus, man, I told you a lot about him already. But I probably should tell you how you can rest in that love. It's very important, and you've probably been told all these fancy things. And I'm honestly, I'm going to tell it even simpler than I usually do. God made everything. He's the creator of everything, including you and me, us. And this is what he said. Oh, there's all these rules. No, he said there's one rule. I'm God, you're not. I'll tell you what right and wrong is. And you know what we did? The same thing we do today. We said no. Our father and mother, Adam and Eve, and you said, that's not fair. Well, okay, you can be judged by your merits because you've done the same thing. We reject his sovereignty. We say, I want my way over his way. And when that happened, we were separated from God like a branch broken off a tree. We still exist, but we're dead, and we don't even know it. And the thousands of years of human existence have shown people trying to figure out what to do with the fact that they know that they were meant to be attached to something greater in relationship with something more. And so we're all scrambling around, hitting each other, creating weird religions, trying to find a way back home, but we can't, and we don't even remember where home is trying to fill the void with bodies and bottles. We can't. We've never been able to. God even gave us 10 rules just to show us, hey, follow these. He knew we couldn't. Hey, we can't. We break those every day. And you're like, I didn't kill anyone today. I didn't murder today. Well, God says if you hate someone, you've already killed them in your heart. That's the standard. And because of that, God gives us what what we want. He says, you don't want to be with me, then you can have what you want. That is hell. Hell is the total absence of God, and it will be miserable. And you will know a loneliness and a pain you've never experienced. And that's, I, I would be, I would be not loving you to not tell you that. Because see, people can sometimes say, I don't need love. Okay. But you need life. pretty desperate situation the bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and it says the wages of sin are death that means that's what you deserve every single one of us because if the standard is perfection it doesn't matter right if the standard's the moon it doesn't matter if i'm me or michael jordan we're nowhere closer so what happened was god had a plan he had a way for us to come back home When we couldn't come to him, he came to us. He invaded earth. Jesus Christ, right, is God made flesh. You don't have to worry about it. All the complicated theology, it's God. And God came down and completely man, lived like us with the same temptations. He overcame sin. He taught us, right, how to love. He told us what it used to be like back home. And he told us to be that way. And then he, he promised to empower us to do that. There's a cost, and I'll come to that in a minute. And then Jesus was killed, an innocent man. We killed him. He hung on a cross, which was part of the plan, because in that moment, he died physically, but also a form of spiritual death in a way, right? As he took the sins, our sins, 
we know that he was separated from God because he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I alone? He took it and he died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Over 500 people saw him. Non-Christian historians have written down the accounts of Christ coming back to life, of witnesses seeing him. You believe what you want. Here's the beautiful thing, right? He returned to heaven. The Father said, here's what he's, this, this is the offer he gives us. On the cross, a divine transaction can take place. If you come to him and admit who you are, a sinner in need of a savior, if you admit that you are broken, if you admit you can't make it home, if you admit you don't know how to be good, if you admit you need him, if you do that, he will take your sin. It doesn't matter. Time doesn't exist to him. He'll take that sin upon himself, the punishment you have, which, by the way, if that was all it was, it'd be good, but then we'd mess up again, wouldn't we? And we'd just do it again. But then he gave us the benefits, a trade. I'll take your life. You take mine. My perfect, spotless life. And that's how God will see you. And it doesn't matter what you've been told. Nobody can ever take that away. Well, Todd, how do I get that? It, it, it has a cost. It's The cost is, is yourself, your life, the way you want to do things, which isn't good anyway. The Bible says if you confess with your lip and believe in your confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. No earning it. Lay down your life to take his. Guys, it's real. Those of you in the room are like, hur, 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 that's not real. It's real. It's real. It is supernaturally real. You will change. And you will be held and loved and healed in ways you never knew possible. So you have that opportunity to do that today. Tomorrow's not promised. If, if you're in this room and you can't see unequivocally that if God came back because he is, and at that point it's too late, if you can't say that you're his, that you're restored to him, that you are a Christian, the real version, if you can't say that today, listen to me, then you need to not leave here until you can confidently say that. There's going to be people up here. I trust them. I just told you I don't trust anyone. I trust them. They will pray with you. They'll, they'll show you what to do, Okay. Don't leave here the same. And if you're in the room and you need to repent, Christians, you know what that word means. Turn away from your unloving ways, your hateful ways, maybe even self-hatred. Turn away from that today and walk out of here restored, refreshed, renewed. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.